friends. Welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's in kinesiology and I'm currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant and a birth fit coach. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness as well as a mama to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, birth fit Santa Cruz regional director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the owner of Radical Roots. Head over to MyRadicalRoots.com to find recipes, insights, and nutrition consulting. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. All right. Welcome to episode 15 of the Modern Mamas podcast. This is insane. I say that every single time. Uh, that we're this far along. Yes. I can't believe it. So if we do one a week, we have 12 episodes live right now. So we've been doing this for about how long? Three months? Yeah. I'm terrible. <laughs> like, Before Amy was born. That's yeah. Crazy it's crazy. Thing. How old is she now? She's, uh, was 10 weeks, two days ago. Okay. I was trying to, was talking with Cassie about that and I was like, I cannot remember how old she is. Um, because like when an episode goes live, she's younger in the episode than yeah. she actually is. So I'm like, I don't really don't know how old she is. Um, anyways, today is going to be a super fun episode. We've got a lot of good information. Um, it's going to be all about sleep. So infant sleep and my passion, which is, how to promote healthy sleep um, in kiddos without having to resort to what people might typically call cry it out. Um, So I have some thoughts on it. Again, when we talk about this subject, I just want everyone to make sure they understand there is no judgment. I have done things to try and get more sleep in my life um, that, you know, were choices made out of literally desperation. Um, and so if you've been at that place, that same place that I've been at and you've made choices that maybe you quote unquote regret, you know, we understand like people are going to make the choices that they have or that they do in the period of time that they have with the information that they have. And there's so much goes into it. So just moving forward into this episode, this is just my opinion. Okay. You can take it with a grain of salt. You can pick and choose the things that resonate with you as always, but this is just general, general science-based knowledge. Does yes. that make sense? Science-based knowledge and some, for me, some experience-based yes. knowledge yes. and zero, zero judgment. That's Absolutely. This no is, judgment. this is definitely a touchy subject for a lot of people yeah. because sleep is essential. Um, and when you're not getting it or when you feel like you've done everything right and you have all the answers, it can be, people can just, it's a sensitive subject. So my intent is only to help. Yes. Okay. <laughs> As always, that's why we're here. <laughs> yes, that, exactly. So let's check in real quick. Um, we have a lot of information to cover. So Laura, what's going on in your world? Um, the, I think the biggest and most fun thing is that we went camping this past weekend um, at Shaver Lake. So any of you from California who've been out here, you know it's near Yosemite. 
Um, and it was glorious two nights with a bunch of our friends. So it was like tribe camping, which was super fun. Um, and it's funny cause we have a tent at the time, you know, an almost 10 week old and, uh, we probably had the, like, if we're talking about like roughing it, you know, we had a backpacking tent, just a two person extra long backpacking tent while some of our other friends, like one of our friends had a camper. And, um, and so it was just, it was funny to me because this is like the first time I'm like, man, that camper looks, nice right now. <laughs> but I love it. I like we're Rusty and I are kind of, especially Rusty, um, pretty big advocates of just like when you can't be camp, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was wonderful having all the friends there too, was really helpful. And Rusty was, a, a incredible just in terms of like, it's amazing how much the experience changes when you have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so fun and she slept really well in the tent and, um, it was just, you know, we're really excited that it went well because that's a big part of our lives. So to be able to take her with us and know that hopefully it'll continue to go well. I just booked another trip early October in big basin for a night. So we left the pups at home this first trip so we could kind of feel it out with the baby. And so we're going to go just us, just our family uh, for a night. And that's only like 30, 40 minutes from us. So it'll be, you know, if things go bad, you can always just pack it up. That's awesome. I will say seeing you guys do it we have yet to go camping with our kids and we do enjoy it too but I've always just been scared to do it um mm. and I think we're gonna have an episode coming up about yeah, we'll all about travel yeah. and camp camping um, and whatnot yeah but you definitely have given me the courage to do it Yay, that's my hope right yeah. and the best thing I feel like the best thing we can do for our kids is take them outside let them be outside mm-hmm. as much as possible so um yeah and obviously it's going to look different now than it will in two years and then three years and four years etc but um it was great. And so my best memories as a kid, my earliest memories are actually of camping. And I think that's because I was impacted by it. And Mm -hmm. so those stuck with me. Whereas like, I don't remember anything else from when I was three, but I remember I had like vivid memories of camping and like being in the hammock and whatnot. So, um, (laughs) I'm hoping that we can give that to her as well. It means a lot to both of us. And then within the next couple of years, we want to do some backpacking trips and just kind of go from there one, one season at a time, right. but we're kind of in the Mecca for it. We've got big Sur not re- real close. We've got big basin really close. Um, a lot of other places within like three hours. So we very have, cool. yeah, I feel very blessed for that. Um, so that's fun. That's the biggest thing. And I, it'll be fun to talk about it because we, we actually got a question specific to babies and camping and sleeping while camping. So I can have, I have some input on that. That could um, be your expertise. My N equals one experiment. <laughs> Aside from that, though, we're still in the bottle struggle. So it's been like three weeks now, and she, um, she, we've had like moments of success where she'll like latch and maybe suck a little and then pop off and be unhappy. So we're trying lots of different things, lots of different bottles. And um, if any of you guys have advice, feel free to comment on my show notes or um, send us an email because. I will take it. (laughs) Um, And then finally, it's just Evie is just chatty. Uh, It's been really fun the past two weeks. She's like become that much more aware and so talkative. Um, It's really funny. We have this little uh, rattle fox from Finn and Emma. And um, this is like organic cotton little fox. And we call it Fox Buddy. And she will sit and talk to that little fox for like (laughs) 10 minutes. 
and it just it kills me. Like I just can't even handle it. So she's so cute. So, you know, the day's excitement has changed from what it was like months ago, but I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love watching it. I think she is adorable. And she is a chatty Cathy. I will say that she is precious. She found her voice and that's a good thing. Hopefully she keeps that, you know, inner voice that she's found. That's if I, that's one thing I'd like to do. Then I feel like I've succeeded in some capacity. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. How about you? Um, well, my big thing, I actually have something interesting to talk about and, um, this won't, be matching up timeline wise to like real life, but I just completed, uh, the birth fit coaching seminar. And so I just have to finish all my application stuff so I can be legit, but it was amazing. It was in Denver and I got to connect with, um, Lindsay who we're going to have on the podcast. I think we probably, she's already probably gone live at this point. Um, and so, yeah, so we had her on the podcast and we got to meet via, Skype. Um, but I got to meet her in person and she is just like an incredible, it's weird. I don't know. Her energy is just like very powerful. Yes. Um, and so, and same with Mel who, um, was there also helping to co-lead, um, who's birthed at Colorado. Um, and she does a lot of like the eating psychology consults, um, within birth fit. So it was really amazing to be just in their energy. Like, I don't know. You just, when you feel those vibes with people, it's like, it's just amazing. But I learned so much. I'm super, super pumped to just go forth and do this thing and bring knowledge to people, um, who need it. Um, and I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, just, yeah, I'm like, I'm on, I'm on fire. I love it. Um, It's hard not to leave that seminar and just feel like almost like tingly with all the energy that you, that you take away from the weekend. It's really rad. It was definitely, I know you always use the term magic, but it was definitely magic. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was really cool. Like I just had this visual the whole time because, you know, all these women came from all over and, you know, I envisioned us all here together in one big, like circle of, knowledge and energy and and love and then visualizing us going back to our respective homes and then like creating another circle like within that community it's just like eventually there's going to be overlapping circles everywhere of just like this positive information and like power to change the whole birth experience and the motherhood transition and postpartum I feel like as Lindsay says there's a lot of work to do Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just getting started and it's amazing. So if anyone is interested in what the birth fit thing is, you know, we talk about it quite frequently on the podcast, but I mean, there's opportunities to get involved. If this is something that you are interested in or passionate about, I mean, I would definitely encourage you to reach out, um, because it's an amazing movement to be a part of. So it's incredible. Yeah. And we got to, I got to meet, um, Joy and Claire from Girls Gone Wild. I did not know they were going to be there, but um, that's that fun. Was I pretty, love their podcast. Yeah, they are so fun. We'll link to it if you guys haven't heard yeah. of them. But they're just like two like very down to earth, real women who, um, you know, had one of the very first like CrossFit podcasts or fitness, you know, not fitness podcasts, obviously, but CrossFit focused. But it's fun because they're. I feel like their listenership is not just. It's not entirely. Probably the majority of it aren't, aren't even CrossFitters. Yeah. They talk a lot of really cool subjects and have cool guests and are just very real. I love it. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, I think they've probably grown as their life experiences have grown. Their podcast 
has kind of evolved um, into a community, which is kind of what we envision for yeah. our podcast one day. So they're great role models for kind of changing the narrative around women and all that good stuff. So super inspiring. Raising each other up instead of tearing each other down. Yeah. So super inspiring. Um, that was amazing. We are, so I was gone for the birth seminar the same weekend that, um, hurricane Harvey hit Texas. Mm. And so we had been anticipating a lot of rain in San Antonio. We got lucky, obviously, um, really, really lucky. So we just had pretty consistent drizzle. We didn't lose power. We didn't really have flooding of any kind. Um, we had family in Corpus. Some stayed, some evacuated, but they actually didn't get hit as hard um, as they were anticipating. So that was good. But then obviously right now we're just dealing with um, the Houston aftermath. We know a lot of people that live there. Um, the company that I work for, we have a lot of employees and, and friends that have been impacted by it. So um, just... Trying it's to, yeah, yeah, trying to Our spread. Hearts go out to yeah. everyone there and everyone affected. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. So just yeah. trying to spread the love and do what we can to, um, you know, help help those who need it. So that's kind of a downer, but yeah. it's been amazing to see yeah. the positive response. Like what humans can do. It's kind of cheesy, mm-hmm. but what humans can do when they just come together. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I saw a really incredible video of this woman was in labor. Um, and obviously like at this point there's feet of water, she can't drive anywhere. So a whole group of people made like a human, um, uh, assembly line and like escorted her, got her onto this boat so that she could be taken somewhere to have a safe, uh, delivery. Oh, I got all the feels. <laughs> I would have cried. I, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I, we've read some, some stories that, um, just like make you really sad. Um, but then, you know, you have the ones like my husband was telling me that the traffic going into Houston was actually in- incredible because all these people are waiting to, with their boats to try and go in and help, um, just people from yeah. just normal people trying to help with the rescue yeah. efforts and stuff. So, and I posted an article this morning from NPR. That's just like a list of ways that if you don't live nearby that you can help that are, you know, are trustworthy. Oh. Cause unfortunately also in times like this, there are some, there can be spammy, like, Hey, donate to the cause. And then people just pocket it. So, yeah. um, I'll link to that as well. You know, this will be after the fact and I'm pretty sure, is it still raining there right now in Houston? I think stopped, I, hope. I, I want to say that it has stopped. Yeah. In um, any case, the, the devastation is going to continue. So yeah, it's gonna I will be- link to that as well in case you, if you want to, um, get involved in some capacity. And for sure, I know a lot of our readers are mamas and, um, they definitely need, um, diapers, um, because that's one thing that like the Red Cross doesn't provide, um, apparently, um, and like formula for babies that need it. Um, gosh, I, that would be very incredibly stressful. Um, thinking about that with my own children, but you know, things like that, like baby related stuff, I think they're in desperate need. So that's good um, to know. And then on a lighter note, Camille is so much fun right now. So she is just <laughs> walking all over the place. Like she owns the place. Um, she's got this little <laughs> swag walk. We make fun of her all the time. And she started saying some words. So she'll like, she'll wave and be like, hi, or oh bye. It's she the cutest me. thing. She kills me too. It's, it's adorable. Um, and like, she'll say, she'll repeat things like, 
last night we were saying goggles because we were in the bathtub and she was playing with goggles and she was like repeating the word. So super fun. And she like, she says words like in the inflection of conversation, even though they're not real words, but it's like, she'll be like, and like, ask like, it's a question. And we'll be like, yeah, talking back to her. Yeah. So she's at a super fun age. Her and Bear are hilarious together. Um, This is turning into a long check-in. I should have known. It always is. Um, (laughs) But they're so funny because, like, Bear is such a sensitive soul, and she is kind of a – how do I put it? She's not a bully. She's sassy, but she knows exactly what to do. Like, Bear has his chair, and she has her chair. Well, she'll go in and just kind of, like, push him out of his chair. And he's so sensitive that he'll just be like – He'll, like, get out of his chair and kind of, like, get off to the side and, like, kind of look real sad. I'm like, buddy. Hold your own, kid. Yeah, you can, you can, she's tough, you know. Obviously, I'm not going to encourage them to, like, beat each other up, but it's like, you know, you can stick up for yourself a little bit. So, it's been interesting. It's fun. It's so much fun. I highly recommend having two kids. We're right behind you. (laughs) I mean, not that close behind (laughs) got a 10 week old but something we should know if I got pregnant right now that would be an accident (laughs) (laughs) that is so funny so I think we did our check-in do you have anything else okay let's talk sleep let's do it so um just I know we kind of talked about it before we did our checks check-in but so this is going to be so for me why am I even talking about this um so my first experience with my son I, he did not sleep. So he was colicky. We had a lot of, um, birth trauma, postpartum issues going on, you know, reflux, um, ear infections in the first uh, year of his life that, you know, really kind of set us up for a pretty difficult one to two years. Um, around eight months, I, so he was not sleeping through the night at that point and actually waking up frequently, Um, and so I was pretty much, I was in a bad place, not only because of, you know, dealing with postpartum stuff, but also sleep deprivation was, was really, uh, it was, it was getting to me. And so it was literally divine intervention. I I entered this giveaway online to get to win this, um, these handmade wooden toys, Cause I was like, Oh, that'd be cool. Well, the grand prize was the sleep package. And that's not even something that I was like aware of. And when I say sleep package, it was like a sleep consultant would work with you, um, with your kiddos. And I just didn't even really know that was a thing. Cause I don't know. My headspace was like, this is going to be forever. I have to deal with this on my own. Um, so I ended up winning the grand prize and it was a, with a gentle, um, holistic sleep coach, which I didn't even know there was such a thing. I thought sleep training meant you, close the door and you let your baby cry until they figure it all out on their, their own. Um, and so when I won it, I was like, okay, like, what is this all about? So I connected with Allie, my holistic sleep consultant. Um, and she, I, I want to say this may be a little dramatic, but I think she saved my life (laughs) because had I not the universe had your back. Yeah. Because had I not gotten support, I, I didn't have the mental space to figure it out on my own. I was way too emotionally involved at that point. I needed, I didn't know, but I needed someone to help guide me. Um, I needed someone to kind of hold my hand through that process. Um, and then to also tell me that there were other options for me because I, you know, in moments of desperation would be like, 
I'm going to close Like he's crying. I can't do anything to help him stop. He won't go back to sleep. I'm going to close the door. I'm like sobbing outside the door more than he is. And I'm like, like this is not working. You know, I've tried, I literally tried everything. Um, so we, so she worked with me one-on-one. And the cool thing is she is a, she was a consultant through the international maternity and parenting Institute, which is actually pretty cool. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, but it's a very holistic minded, um, Institute that has various certifications that you can get. Um, and they really are one of the only, kind of institutes that does these, the sleep consulting that really focuses on individualized, um, sleep plans, meaning, you know, for instance, if you contact someone through the such and such method, a sleep consultant that says X, Y, Z method, like they're going to, they're only going to teach you how to sleep train or whatever through that method. Whereas IMPI, we have to know about all the various methods that are available Um, And then you go through a very lengthy kind of interview process with the family so that you can hash out everything that is going into sleep because sleep is really complicated. It is not just a matter of my baby doesn't know how to sleep. I need to teach them how to sleep. Usually there's many other things that you're going to do before you even talk about you know, the sleep lady shuffle method or the, you know, crying in arms method, before you even consider doing what you would call formal sleep training, you want to make sure that you're addressing all the baby's needs. And that's a huge part of that as an emotional component. Um, you want to make sure that the environment, um, is comfortable for sleep and conducive for sleep, that the routine, you know, you know, routine is developmentally appropriate that their structure structure and to their day is developmentally appropriate. Because a lot of times when you address those issues beforehand, I'm going off on a tangent. I'm kind of getting into some of the stuff. But when you address those issues beforehand, you don't even have to do any sort of quote-unquote sleep training um, because things just kind of work themselves out. Um, so I loved that about this, this um, group and my experience with her. So I loved it so much that I took the course. I didn't end up getting my certification because I realized I, I was doing the course more for personal education. I'm fascinated by sleep. Um, I didn't necessarily want to work one-on-one with clients. And so I completed the educational component. I just didn't complete the certificate, if that makes sense. So that's my background. What did that entail? That actually getting the um, you would have to work with clients um, like one-on-one and do some... I mean, it wasn't a lot more... Just some like hands-on. Yeah, stuff. some hands-on one-on-one stuff, just like you would do with like nutrition certification um, cool. and whatnot. Yeah. So um, I have all the education, just not the technical certification. So that's yeah. kind of my background. That's why we get to share that with us now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I can I can give general advice as much as I want. I just you know if you're looking to hire someone, I would um, encourage you to go to the International Maternity and Parenting Institute. Online, they have a list of providers. And most of the time, um, you don't have to have one that's local. A lot of them work via Skype or email or phone. So just finding one that you connect with. Sweet. So that's mine. What about you? What about your background? Um, Ten weeks as a mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just a lot of chats with you. And uh, Liz Wolf has been Mm -hmm. an amazing resource for both of us. And uh, so I have my experience. I have like what my instincts tell me and uh, with, you know, with the caveat that we do have a, a really good sleeper. So, um, 
like I, I'm aware of that. I'm not naive to the fact that not all babies sleep as well as Evie does. Um, she's like a content little sleeper kid. The, uh, like the, the, what blows my mind. So night one in the hospital, right? I've been up since 4am the day, the day I went into labor, went into labor at night. She was born at 5am. So at this point, it's 26, 25 hours, you know, and then like two hours of two magic hours after she was born. And like, I don't think, you know, I didn't sleep much in like 48 hours. Really. I got like a little nap in that first day. Um, and then, uh, cause you know, I was like on a high and then her first like full night, actual nighttime, she just wanted to be on the boob all night long. And I was, I, I swear to God, like my eyes were rolling in circles. Like I, it was, I, I felt like I was losing my mind. Um, and so, and, you know, and then the nurses came in, I'm like, she's not sleeping. She just wants to eat and eat and eat. And then she finally like had her first giant meconium poop. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then she was out and the nurses <laughs> were like, they, they suck. That sucking, yeah. um, is what helps them to pass that first poop. So she just wanted to be on the boob and sucking and sucking and sucking so that she could pass that first poop. Um, and then since that poop, she's been a really great sleeper. <laughs> just, you know, like reset her system. Yeah. Even in the first weeks, you know, she, when, when they're up more often, it was mm-hmm. like a quick nursing and then she would fall back asleep. Mm-hmm. So I didn't deal with the, and I'm so for, like, I feel very blessed for this. I didn't deal with just like the crying and not knowing why. Um, and just being awake and having night and day switched up. Like she really knew night from day from the beginning somehow, um, slept more at night. And then now she sleeps, you know, way she sleeps through the night and, and doesn't nap that she naps during the day, but mm-hmm. mostly just on my body. So mm-hmm. that's, we've gotten a lot of questions actually about that, about, um, how can I get my kid to nap on his or her own during the daytime? Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to learn more about that too, <laughs> but I also don't mind like I can have her in the carrier or she'll just sleep on me, which is fine right now. But a lot of people are going back to work and trying to figure out nap schedules and stuff. Yeah. But so my experience is 10 weeks with a baby and then the reading I've done and the discussions that I've had with other moms. Um, and I know how I like my, um, interpretations of things and how, what I feel comfortable with in terms of sleep training and whatnot. So this is going to be a really cool podcast. I'm going to learn a lot. I'll share my, um, advice and my experiences and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah. I love it. And just so, uh, before we really dive in, I'm going to reiterate. So, and Laura, a lot of it is just how Evie is her personality, but you know, there is a huge nurture component to it. You know, we're going to talk about sleep is a very complicated thing. And I, I'm going to try and answer some reader questions to the best of my ability, but keeping in mind, if I were to actually work one-on-one with, you know, these listeners that are asking questions, there would be a lot of digging. Um, there would be a lot of personal questions, a lot of more follow-up information that would be needed because everyone is so individual and I don't want I don't want people to get defensive when I say that a huge, pretty much the basis of of healthy sleep is emotional connection, stability, and well-being between the the, the providers, the mom and the dad, the partners, whoever it is, and the baby um, from the very beginning. You know, that's not, it's not a blanket statement. I know there are unicorn babies out there who will sleep through the night at six weeks with no, no other issues. There's nothing to be had about it, to be done about it. But for the most part, I just want you to know, moving forward, the number one suggestion, the first suggestion will always be digging into the emotional side 
of the family unit. And that's why I love the IMPI certification is because for them, that is the crux. The, you can, you can shut a baby in a room and do extinction. Will they eventually sleep through the night? Probably. Is that necessarily, you know, addressing the root cause that maybe there's an emotional component as to why they don't feel are unable to sleep on their own, um, you know, before you did that, the extinction method, um, it's probably not addressing the root issue. Um, again, I'm just commenting on these. This is not, people will have a tendency to get defensive if they had, if they've done that before. I have done that before. I'm not, I, I just want everyone to know there is no judgment. Okay. We've all, I've been in that place where I felt like that was my, my only resort. Um, so just prefacing moving forward, no judgment again. And also there's a huge emotional component to sleep. It's not just about learning how to sleep. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. Laura, anything to add before we dive into the, the meat? Okay. Now let's do it. Okay. So, uh, first kind of intro into it is does age matter? And so the thing about, so there are neuro neurological and developmentally appropriate stages where sleep shows pretty predictable patterns. So for newborns, babies, you know, the first few days, you probably notice for most kids, there's a lot of sleeping going on. Usually that's going to be, they're going to average about 16 to 18 hours of sleep per day. That's when you're like sitting on the couch, noises are like crazy and they're sleeping through everything. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. It's a lot of work to be born for the baby. Um, the mom's working hard, but the baby is also an active partner in the birth process. So like they're having to work to move down, to turn in the birth canal, to, you know, kind of work through every contraction with you. So it's really a lot of work for a baby to be born and they're tired (laughs) after they're born. So that's one reason there's also a lot of, um, sleepy hormones in breast milk, especially in the beginning that promote that, sleep state that really the the milk junk state, you know, when you have pictures of newborn babies who are just like arms swelling out, head tilted to the side, milk dribbling out. (laughs) It's like they literally are milk drunk. Um, and that's good. That's a good state for them to be in a nice relaxed state. And then also in the first year of life, really, but especially in that initial phase, they're going through pretty insane recovery from the birth, birth process and a lot of growth. So, I mean, they need sleep. We talk about how adults need sleep for rest and recovery. It's essential. Um, babies really, really need it. So in those first few days slash weeks, they're going to be sleeping a lot. And that is developmentally normal. They're also going to be waking up a lot to nurse. So they're between the sleep sessions, they're going to be nursing a lot. That is so normal. So, so normal. And that's another thing I want to go in part of why we're sharing this information is just realistic expectations of, of what it's like to have a newborn is a lot of sleeping probably in your arms, mm-hmm. um, because they, that's where they prefer to be. They've been with you, you know, in your belly for nine months and they, they need that connection. Um, we had an expectation that we'd have her like in a bassinet by the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not going to work for either of us. I needed her, <laughs> like I needed her on my chest yeah. to sleep. And she needed to be on me to sleep. And um, now she's 10 weeks. And we, some nights she's in the bassinet. Some nights she's in bed. She's making lots of noise right now. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's just kind of we've gone off of 
instinct. So that's an example mm-hmm. of where my expectation was not reality. And, uh, the reality is for us that she needed to be really close to me for both of us to sleep. Right. And, um, so the, you know, it's just funny how that, that all kind of plays out. Yeah. And we'll talk about it in my, in the sleep article that I wrote, um, in those, those early weeks and months, they don't have a lot of needs. They need to be fed because they're growing a lot and they're hungry and their, their stomachs are small. Um, so they need to be fed frequently. They need sleep and they need emotional connection and stability. So, um, being close to you and forming that bond and being held or worn, um, those are really, if I had to say like for, to anybody, realistic expectations for that newborn phase, that's what you should go into. I wouldn't say, you know, expect to be putting your baby down a lot, having them sleep solo. And some babies will do that. You know, I'm saying in general, most babies need this connection. And I think it's essential moving forward for healthy sleep patterns, if that makes sense. So you say you got lucky with Evie. I also say intuitively, you knew, you know, you needed her close and she felt that. And now she's a good sleeper because you took the time to kind of build that emotional connection. And I'm not saying that if your baby sleeps in a bassinet or if your baby, if you don't co-sleep or if they sleep in their own room, that you can't formulate emotional connection. That's not Mm -hmm. the only way is through co-sleeping, but you should be mindful that, you know, that's a huge thing to consider in those initial weeks. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why they're so sleepy. 16 to 18 hours is pretty normal those first few days. Um, and then about four weeks, they're probably going to sleep about an average of 14 hours a day. And that's a mixture of night and daytime sleep. So 14 hours at about four weeks is, is pretty normal. They're going to start to extend their wake periods, um, a little bit. They're still not probably going to be able to tolerate a lot of like stimulation time. Um, but it will, they won't be quite as sleepy. That's when you're going to start to notice them becoming a little bit more alert to their surroundings. They start to kind of make eye contact. Um, and so just less of that overall milk junk phase. Um, so like we said, the reality is they really just need to be close to you. So, you know, expectations for planning for that period of time is kind of like what you did, Laura, like make sure you have a support, um, that's going to allow you to do that. Um, you know, the meal train thing that you guys did is huge. Not having to, I mean, Rusty playing a huge role in like helping with all the like housework and chores and stuff so that you can just take that time to establish that connection, I think is huge. Um, do you have anything to add to that? No, I just think, I think that society sets this all up to be a struggle, right? Mm -hmm. The expectation is that mom's going to get back to all the things, whether, you know, it's work or, um, work around the house or getting her body back or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Um, we kind of feel like if the baby's sleeping, I should be doing something. Mm -hmm. And in those first weeks now in that way, when, uh, she sleeps, I get stuff done, Mm -hmm. but early on, when we're really bonding and connecting and my body was especially in need of repair. Um, we, when she slept, I slept with her, like she was on my body or my husband's every time she was asleep pretty much. And I, and that's just what, that was like instinctual. That's just kind of what felt right. So whatever, whatever outside sources are telling you that you should be doing stuff when baby's sleeping, maybe just, if you can try, ignore that. And when baby's sleeping, you don't have to be asleep, but it's kind of nice just to be touching. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I 
had two different experiences with bear. I was very much the, like, I need to put him down when he's asleep from like the moment he was born. I was like, I don't want to spoil him. I want him to figure out how to sleep on his own. Every chance or every time he was asleep, I was trying to do something quote unquote productive. Um, I, I regret that. This is just my story. Okay. This is just my, my feelings. I regret that. Um, and you know, I don't want you to think if that's something that you've been through or that's what you're currently doing, that you've screwed up your kid forever and you're never going to feel emotionally connected and he's never going to learn to sleep. It's not true. Um, you, there are a lot of things that we do now and we did once we became more aware to foster emotional connection and support and stability in the bond. Um, yeah, none of this is irreparable. None of it any. is irreparable. Um, so if you're listening and you have, even if you have a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, yeah. like this is just, you know, whatever stage you're at there's things you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then with Camille, I decided that I was going to just, you know, I had still had all those little messages in my mind, like I should be doing stuff, but I'm like, you know, I tried that and it didn't work for me. So I'm going to try something different. It was totally kind of like an experiment uh, and ended up working out um, pretty darn well. But also, you know, I had a big shift in my, my mindset too, that created the ability for me to relax into that plan, um, for her. So anyways, we're going off on lots of, lots of tangents, but a lot of people are, you know, we had some questions too, like my, they, they will only stay asleep for like 30 to 45 minutes. Like they, they won't take a long nap. And this is around like six to eight weeks. Um, and I just want you guys to know that that is normal. <laughs> the infant sleep cycle is immature. It's not like a um, typical, like 60 to 90 minute sleep cycle for, um, an adult. So their cycles is about 50 minutes. Um, and so they spend about half the time in really active sleep. So that's when you'll see babies like twitching and like smiling and like, you know, making sounds and stuff. And then the other half, um, they're in more of that quiet, restful sleep. Um, and so a 45 minute nap is actually pretty normal for like the first three months. Okay. Um, they will learn, you know, eventually sleep consolidates, meaning like they may be able to string two sleep cycles together where they kind of wake up and come out of it. Um, and then are able to like slip back into sleep themselves. And adults do this at night. Adults wake up. You may wake up at the end of a sleep cycle, but you might not remember doing that. You just kind of float back into the next one. So they're just learning how to kind of work through that wake up process and then kind of go back into it. So it's just a normal thing that happens. Um, and then, you know, in the newborn phase, they're going to feed frequently. So it is normal to feed every two hours. They have very tiny stomachs. They need frequent nourishment. Okay. That was another mistake I made with bear trying to, you know, he just ate, you know, an hour ago, like, why am I feeding him again? And getting out of that mindset that you have to control the timing of feeds, um, especially in the fourth trimester, just get that out of your head. Okay. Baby's going to tell you when they're hungry and babies, if they're nursing frequently, they nurse for a variety of reasons. They don't just nurse for nutrition at this age. They don't have coping skills. Okay. They don't, they haven't been through therapy. They can't, you know, figure out ways to deal with stimulation or overwhelming emotion. Nursing is both an emotional comfort and a nutritional comfort. So, maybe they aren't hungry, but maybe they do need you and that, that sucking action. So it's very normal 
to nurse quite frequently at this time, and it will probably impede their sleep process, but all those things will naturally develop over time if you allow them to. Um, Around six to 10 weeks, kiddos are usually going to kind of start spacing out feeds every three to four hours. You know, they're going to go through growth spurts where they might want to feed more frequently, but in general, they're going to be able to kind of go a more prolonged period of time in between feeds. So then they're also going to start consolidating some sleep cycles, meaning they can string one or two together. Um, They're still going to sleep a ton during the day. A lot of it's going to be, you know, frequent cat naps, like we said, Um, you know, 45 minute naps. That's when people, you know, around that six to 10 week mark, they're like, they should be sleeping longer. Not necessarily. Some babies will. Okay. We talk about the magical unicorn babies sleeping through the night at six weeks. That happens. It's not necessarily, um, what's not necessarily not normal, but it's, I wouldn't say it's common. Common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so also something to keep in mind, we talk, talking about the length of sleep. We're also kind of talking about the length of their awake capabilities. So we're going to talk about this later, but one thing people will try and do is keep the baby up for a long time so that they get really tired um, and will sleep better. That's actually not developmentally appropriate and can really backfire. So babies need sleep. They need a lot of sleep. Um, and if you're keeping them up longer than they're able to really mentally like do overstimulation is a huge thing. It's actually going to make it harder for them to ease into the sleep transition. So things you're looking for usually around the six to 10 week, it's going to be maybe 60 to 90 minutes, um, sometimes less. Um, but you're looking for those sleepy cues. Like if they start to rub their eyes or kind of mess with their ears or, um, yawn or look away, like they're literally telling you, I can't take this stimulation anymore they're kind of getting to the point where it's going to be harder for them to fall asleep. So you really want to kind of be aware of that in the initial, um, those first, the the first, the fourth trimester, those sleepy cues and try and kind of head off that stuff. Um, please, please do not try and keep them up all day so that they sleep good at night. (laughs) Um, that would be one of my number. We actually found that, um, there's days when she slept, way more during the day. She was just for whatever, probably growing, just extra tired. Mm-hmm. And I remember t- telling Rusty, like, should, you know, it'd be five o'clock and she'd be out. And I'm like, is this bad? Is she not going to sleep tonight? Oftentimes those nights she slept longer mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So it's just like, for whatever reason she needed more sleep and we just kind of rolled with when she needed, when she slept, we haven't woken her up one time. Right. Because we know we've been late to stuff. <laughs> we've gotten on the road later than when to plan for trips and whatnot. But, um, I just feel like when she's sleeping, it's because she needs to be sleeping. And so we haven't messed with that at all. And I think it's played out pretty well for us in terms of, um, the, when it's, it's going to be all over the place in the beginning because they're bare all over the place Mm -hmm. in terms of some days they're growing a bunch and some days she eat less and sleep a ton. The next day she eat a ton and sleep less. And so just kind of rolling with it, I think is um, the best you can do. Absolutely. And, and kind of feeding into the next topic, um, Around 12 weeks. So right now, like the first, the fourth trimester, that first 12 weeks, babies don't expect them to be on a schedule because physically they're not really producing melatonin, which is kind of like that key hormone that tells us, like establishes our circadian rhythm. They're not really making that for, um, until they're 12 weeks or older. Um, and some babies are kind of, they're, they may start to like navigate toward a schedule just because the basic basic rhythms of the day you're establishing, but that hormone that's essential 
really not present um, until that point. So having kind of naps all over the place, maybe different bedtimes and, you know, some nights they sleep really good and some, some nights they don't is totally normal. Okay. Very normal. <laughs> and we talked about also that they're getting melatonin from breast milk mm-hmm. if you're breastfeeding. Right. So mm-hmm. one thing I've been trying to do sometimes not successfully is wear my like Amber um, blue blocking glasses mm-hmm. once the sun goes down, because you know, the thought there is that, and then at night when, when I nurse her, I'll put on like an amber light instead of a blue light, just Mm -hmm. in hopes that my cycle is not super disturbed. And so therefore like she'll get more melatonin through breast milk. Yeah. Um, So that's something to consider as well. If you're staying up super late or if you're on your phone during night nursings, it could impact baby's ability to fall back asleep quickly. Absolutely. Babies are humans. They have the same hormonal responses when they, when it's, you know, they've been developmentally established that you would have to blue light. They would have that as well. So People trying to kind of think of babies as a different species, um, you know, thinking they sleep better with light or, you know, they, you know, they should sleep better with a bunch of noise around. And my question is always you as an adult, and that may be true for some kiddos. I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying this is a general for healthy sleep habits. I would ask the adult, how do you sleep best? Do you sleep best in a dark room? Um, most people would say yes. Um, do you sleep best when there is either quiet or like some ambient noise, like white noise or a fan or rain or something? And the answer is usually yes. Like, would you like it if someone's like vacuuming beside you while you're trying to nap? I mean, that's, that's hard. So, um, going off on a little tangent, cause that's also later in the thing, but just considering that babies will have similar responses at a certain point that you would have to certain things. Um, okay. So 12 weeks, baby starts to make their own melatonin. This is where you you might notice just a natural, their natural ability to extend sleep at night. They're starting to get on more of a schedule around 12 weeks. Um, three to five months, you're going to see that sleep naturally start to extend, increase night settling for most kiddos. Um, you may see like five hour plus stretches at night, which is great. Um, and then they may start to drop that evening catnap. So I know with Camille, for the first like 12 weeks, excuse me, she would go to sleep when we would go to sleep, which would be like 10, 10 30. And that was totally fine. Like everyone was on board. Like she would take kind of a, like a late evening nap. Um, and then we would all go to sleep at like nine 30 to 10, but around three to five months, I noticed maybe she wasn't really sleeping well. Um, she was trying to drop that evening nap. And so we just noticed that she was getting tired earlier and that's when bedtime just naturally started to move up to, you know, seven 30 ish by between seven and eight, we could tell like she was done for the day and she was ready to go to sleep. So just kind of reading those cues, um, and notice knowing that around that time, it's probably going to happen. My question then would be when you moved that earlier, Mm -hmm. did you nurse her to sleep? I, Okay. So I, with bear was very, um, intrigued by the baby wise, um, school Mm -hmm. of thought. I do think they have some interesting information. Um, I was like very anti nurse to sleep, uh, cause I, you know, wanted him to fall asleep independently. Um, I did not do that with Camille. I nursed her to sleep. I was like, I'm not going to worry about this because it just made everything so much harder. And the nursing is just naturally designed to help them ease into a sleep state. Yeah. Um, for us, we did it and it's never been a problem and we don't nurse to sleep now. 
and she was fine transitioning away from it. I personally would not worry about nursing to sleep. Yeah. We're kind of right now. She's so little, but most of the time, like we'll be, you know, it's the evenings and she falls asleep while nursing Mm -hmm. and then I'm able to go put her down and then like get ready for bed and stuff. And sometimes Mm -hmm. she'll wake up in that transition, but Mm -hmm. then she'll fall back asleep herself. So yeah. So she's this little, obviously I just, I would, I have a hard time imagining trying to just not nurse her to sleep. Um, but I know we, we have some questions about that. So I figured I'd touch on it now. We'll dive into it some more. Um, yeah. I'm so much information. This is probably going to be a long podcast. Um, so, and then I want to preface the like shoulds and we're talking about, you know, maybe you're getting to the point where you want to reach out to like a sleep consultant or you want to kind of try a more formalized approach to like implementing a certain desired change. One thing to consider, like a lot of people ask, should my baby be sleeping through the night? at such X, Y, Z age, or is it a problem if we co-sleep? Like, should we, should be in a crib or is it a problem if we nurse to sleep? Um, my, my question always is none of these things are a problem unless it's starting to become a problem for you and your family. That's the, that's, it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Exactly. So if you guys (laughs) are fine, co-sleeping is working for you. Y'all are all getting better sleep you know, or even if they're waking up one to two times a night to nurse and they're going right back to sleep and it's just, it's, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Like, don't feel like you have to change anything that's working for you and your family. Now, on the other hand, if you are just a nervous wreck while close sleeping, which was with me, which was how I was with bear, I wasn't getting any sleep. He wasn't getting any sleep. It wasn't working for us. Um, then I decided to do something about it. And also keep in mind, like I would not try to reach out to anybody, um, or try and change anything unless you're really mentally ready to go through a little bit of maybe a tougher time. Like maybe there's increased crying, not crying alone behind a closed door, but you know, crying in arms or, you know, there's a little bit of, there's going to be some transition, some difficulty. Um, if you're trying to transition from one sleep habit to another sleep habit, like nursing to sleep, for instance, you may, you know, maybe your partner's going to try giving a bottle instead at night, or maybe you're going to try shortening your nursing periods at night, like every few minutes um, over the course of several weeks. It's a long process. I would never advise someone to change something overnight because if you want to do it gently, if you want to do it respectfully, if you want to do it with minimal crying, um, it's going to be a longer process. Just keep that in mind. Okay. So it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Okay. No one, no one's telling you that you have to change anything you don't want to change. So, um, I think we got a few questions on this. Yeah. You want to jump into some questions as we go through stuff? Yeah. So, one of the things I said, is it normal for babies to con- continue night waking? Was this a question or was this just me talking? I feel like this is good information, but we're probably going to go super long. Um, normal for babies to continue night waking for nutrient pur- purposes well into... Oh, it is normal for babies to continue night waking for nutrition well into and past the first year. Now, one thing that you can do... I think we had a question about will feeding solids make an infant sleep Mm-hmm. at night. And this kind of works into that. The, the answer is there is kind of, we could, this, we could go into two questions. Cause one question was, will solids help my baby sleep, um, better because she had this one re- a listener has a baby who 
is kind of refusing solids mm-hmm. at this point. And, um, and he's not sleeping while well. he's still waking up every three hours or so yeah. at night. And then, um, another reader asked, listener asked about her baby who's almost a year old who wakes to feed and to, to nurse at night, but it's oftentimes just as a human pacifier. Right. So he's not waking to eat. She's co-sleeping. He's not waking to eat. He's just waking and wants the boob. So yeah. we can kind of talk about both of those, I think here. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So it is normal to night wake well into a year and past a year for nutri- nutritive purposes. Now, if you're trying to maybe, um, because adults wake up at night and they get a glass of water, they're thirsty, or sometimes you'll wake up and you need a snack. And usually what's happening is, you know, especially when they get to be like toddling around, like around 13, 15 months, um, they're too busy to eat. You know, they've just aren't getting enough nutrition during the day. So one thing that you really want to like think about is, are they get, are they eating frequently enough in large amounts? Even if it's just breast milk and they're not eating a lot of solids, you really want to make sure they're getting adequate daytime nutrition. That can sometimes you don't have to do anything other than that, and that night waking will kind of sort the sort themselves out. Now to the question, you know, will solids make my baby sleep longer? There is no science. Um, I know a lot of people will like anecdotally say start rice cereal at four months and that's going to make the baby sleep the night. There's no actual science, um, to say that that will be helpful. So I would, I've heard that actually just like, it's kind of tough for them to digest mm-hmm. that. And so, so much of their energy is going to process that rice cereal mm-hmm. that, that they might be extra sleepy. Um, and I don't know that I feel comfortable. And again, this isn't, I haven't, I need to really dive in a little bit more and I will, and we're going to have, um, a guest on to talk more about babies and food. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for that one, but that's not something I would feel comfortable with. Um, yeah, and this is yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so another episode, yeah, it's another episode, and there's a lot of um, great information out there. But just as a general response, there's no link. So I would not say, especially starting solids early in an attempt to get your baby to sleep um, sooner, it's not going to happen, and it may backfire on you. And I know this mama, and she's feeding. Um, she's feeding like real food options. Yeah. She's offering real food options, and he's probably just not ready yet. Probably really yeah. likes her breast milk. <laughs> and in general, and I'm pretty sure Megan, who we're going to have on here, will speak to the same thing. If food before one is just for fun, it's still for that first year, they're going to be their nutrients. The bulk of their nutrients is coming from breast milk or formula. So but that is not um, true. <laughs> okay. The food before one is just for fun. There are, and Megan will talk about this because I've talked okay. to her in depth about this. There's that whole concept. Um, the reality is there is nourishment that they cannot like iron um, specifically and stuff that they do need. Um, they do need food for, but they can get that in very, like just by, again, this is another podcast, just by gnawing on a piece of meat or, you know, but I'm talking about like like, the, this, the, um, like the caloric intake. Oh yeah. They don't energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like as energy, like they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily, like people worry about like, Oh, he didn't eat very much. Like they're getting enough calories. They're like (laughs) playing with the food. They're playing with the textures. They're sucking on the meat. They're, you know, getting some nutrients, like you said. Um, but if they are not eating like giant meals, Oh yeah. You know, that's, that is normal. I would say. Cause and, she was saying he just eats like a tablespoon or two yeah. and he's getting nutrients from that, that he needs, you know? So, right. um, it's, you know, he's not waking up because he's starving or whatever the case may be. And yeah. I'm glad you yeah. said that there's no link. Cause I was curious about that too. Yeah. Scientifically yeah. in terms of sleep and, um, eating. 
that I have Luna right in my face right now. They do need um, adequate daytime nutrition. So like I said, especially around that age where they're starting to get a little bit busier, mentally taking some leaps, physically, you know, more active, um, just making sure that they are, you guys are nursing enough during the day and that you are offering. Like, it's not to say that you shouldn't encourage the development of, of, you know, nutrition, like foods through solids and stuff, because I'm sure Megan will talk about it too. And she's the expert, but you know, if you do delay the introduction of solids too long, they might have trouble, um, you know, orally, you know, figuring out how to chew and swallow and all. Yeah. They might end up a little bit pickier in terms of. Yeah. That's what I mean. Um, so what what was the other portion of the question? Um, just a, a little one who's almost a year who's waking up at night um, and using the boob as more yeah. of like a, a pacifier um, versus, and so she doesn't want to stop co-sleeping, but mm-hmm. she does want to be able to like, you know, it's basically, it's a night weaning question. Mm-hmm. Like how do you make sure that if you are feeding at night, it's for nutritive purposes only. And at a certain age, we've kind of talked about this and you're the expert, but is there an age where maybe you can work, we can work on night weaning where they don't need to eat at all at night? Yeah. And I don't think there's a specific, like at 16 months, they shouldn't be nursing at night. I think it's very individualized, but there's, um, pay attention to the quality of the suck. So, um, a nutritive suck is a very like aggressive, not aggressive, but a much more substantial suck. Um, you can see like, you know, they're sucking and swallowing. Whereas like a non-nutritive suck is more like, you know, when they're like half asleep and they're just like, like, and they're like resting in between sucks and they're kind of like, they're not swallowing. Yeah. They're not swallowing anything. So I think it's kind of be aware of that again, make sure they're having adequate nutrition throughout the day. But then the, the night weaning, so there's various ways you can go about it. I know Liz Wolf used an aware parenting, um, Eliza from the conscious, conscious baby, which we'll link to in the show notes. So there's, and we talk about this back in the early episode Mm -hmm. with her. So we'll link to that as well with the aware parenting and sleep. So my question, and I actually had a, a listener reach out about kind of a similar thing and I asked a few more questions and what it came down to was there were some emotional shifts within the family, um, some changes within the family unit that were going on right about this time where maybe night weaning or night nursing started to increase. Um, and so my first question is always to kind of look and see, is there any, you know, subtle emotional things that need to be dealt with? Because Liz will say, it's usually not about the sleep or the need to suck. It's about some emotional need that kind of needs to be, um, addressed. So sometimes just addressing that through various methods, um, this would probably, again, need some deeper diving into with this particular listener, but, um, those need to be addressed first. And then you want to look at the sleep environment. Is that optimal? Um, and then as far as like the literal night weaning process, you can go about it a couple different ways. Um, you know, you can, allow them to latch and then try and reduce each nursing session by like just a minute each time. So it's kind of like slow and gradual to where they really don't even notice it's happening. Um, you can try that. You can try if they take a bottle, um, trying to have your partner, um, feed them a bottle instead. Um, you know, and you can pick like the, every third wake, I'm going to try a bottle instead of, um, nursing. Um, you can do things like that. You can have the partner be the one that's, you know, holding them while they 
express the emotions that they maybe need that they were using the suckling to work through instead of like, you know, really like emoting them, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah expressing we had them. another question. This is great. Cause we're tackling another one about a 16 month old who wakes up at night to nurse. And when her partner, when mom's partner goes in, her husband goes in, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, the baby cries because there's no boob. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sometimes a parent might have a really hard time with that. And we talked about this in the episode with, uh, Liz about how it's important that as parents, we kind of work through this stuff as well. Like if it's really, really hard for you to hold a crying baby, then, um, it might be something to kind of like think about on your own end too. Uh, I, Jess and I talk about this a lot, how ther- we, I wish so badly that like going to therapy was like as, as, um, as like, go, yeah. Or it was like going to the gym. Yeah. Like people didn't think twice. There was no judgment. You go to the gym to stay healthy and keep your body healthy and therapy, um, or something similar, maybe like a mind, a, a you know, a, a regular, relatively strict mindfulness practice or, or not strict, but you know, a regular mindfulness practice, those types of things should be just as quote unquote normal as going to the gym. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's not just about addressing your baby's needs and uh, mentally and emotionally and the trauma they might have in through childbirth or whatever the case may be, but also your own, because I think babies feed off us as mm-hmm. well and our energy, the energy we put out. So that's something to consider as well. If, if one or both parents have real issues with the crying, um, I know for me, the first time we let Evie just kind of cry when she was dealing with some stuff, she was like, just, she was popping on and off the boob and she was fussy, but not super fussy, but just like seemed a little frantic and, um, all of her needs were met. So I just held her and let her cry. And I actually cried a little bit because it was almost like a release for both of us. And then she just like, ah, like sighed, <laughs> hunkered down, ate, and then, you know, fell asleep. And so, yeah. Something again, listen back to those episodes because aware parenting or just this, even if we don't, we don't need to label it anything, but like mm-hmm. crying is not a terrible thing, right? So you know, crying is actually good for everybody. Crying mm-hmm. is such a great release. And so if needs are met, baby needs to cry. Um, it can be pretty powerful. Not yeah. Kind of supportive crying, supportive crying yeah. when you're present, yeah. when you are there, you're holding the space for your baby. Essentially you're mm-hmm. saying, I'm here, you're safe, feel the feelings and mm-hmm. you know, Again, like you said in that particular question, the partner's not really comfortable with a crying baby. Mm-hmm. That that's something that that the partner kind of has to work through so that they can be present and in those emotions and those moments and be a support to their spouse and to their kiddo as well. So um, it's it's complex. I wish I you know, could give everyone a very specific like do X Y Z and this will work. But there's many options. I'm just gonna. I'll, kind of give you general recommendations, but knowing that, you know, if this is a priority to you, you may need someone to work with you just one-on-one, whether that's the aware parenting route or you find someone through IMPI, but there's a lot that goes into tackling really complex issues, um, you know, or can be complex sometimes. Um, Not everyone. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of like, there's too much light in the room and you just need to you know, baby needs a darker environment or something, but a lot of right. times it can be emo- emotional, stemming from an emotional issue. So did I answer and that? And before we, yeah, totally. Before we jump back to the kind of like things to consider, um, we touched on these, so I just want to make sure we address them as the questions on new little ones in sleep. So mm-hmm. we already went over this, but I just want to make sure these listeners have their answer, their questions like addressed a little more specifically. One has a five, a four week old baby and she's trying to work on establishing a day and night. Um, he'll, he'll have two to three good nights and then a not so great one. Is this normal? What's the most important step to start with? Um, 
Should she do consistent feedings at specific times? Um, or will it all pan out at some point? And I think we answered this. I think the last question is we could just say, yes, it will, it will pan out trying not to, um, set a super rigid schedule. And I have friends who did baby wise from like the start and it worked beautifully. I've got like a handful of friends and that worked for them, but not every baby's the same. So if you're trying to regiment and get a schedule and it's not working for you and baby, then it might be time and best for everyone to let go of that mm-hmm. and um, nurse as needed and build that bond. And then maybe try, if you want to get them on a, a schedule, try again later, mm-hmm. but uh, forcing it isn't going to, it's, that can be hard for the parent. My gosh, if you're trying yeah. to like, this book says this should work and it's not working. Um, but no book is going to be the right answer yeah. for everybody. That's just the reality. Yeah. And like I said, with baby wise, for instance, there's a lot of good information in that, that mm-hmm. book, but even they don't really recommend implementing a lot of those strategies. If, if I'm correct until like at least like six to eight weeks, which to me is a little on the early side, but um, there is a point where they, they do understand that there is no schedule, especially at four weeks. Like, yeah, the answer is it's totally normal for each day, each minute, each hour, each week to be completely different because baby doesn't have the ability to regulate, um, a cycle developmentally or neurologically, um, for the most part. Another mama has a seven week old, same question. She's trying to um, get a routine for her seven week old. Cause she goes back to work in a, in a, um, in like at three months. And I would say if she's going back to work, then whoever's caring for the baby, um, doesn't necessarily just like she's okay. could be okay without a set schedule. Mm-hmm. The caregiver, um, not like a, a nanny or a babysitter or a caregiver, or a husband or a spouse partner needs a baby to nap for her to go away. You know, whoever's there can still be there with the, with the baby, whether baby's sleeping or not, whether it's on a schedule or not. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah. Four to seven weeks, I would say feed the baby when they're hungry, let the baby sleep when they're sleepy. Um, it Mm -hmm. will pan out. Um, eventually every Mm -hmm. baby's different. Some, you know, maybe sooner rather than later, but it will. Um, I would not definitely not really focus on a schedule at this point. Now, a schedule meaning like baby wakes up at six, they take their first nap at nine, like they go to bed at seven and it's a very structured, rigid thing, which is kind of what I don't like about baby wise. And again, I'm not knocking baby wise. I know it works for some people, but Mm -hmm. they're much more of like timed feedings and like everything is very, very structured, which in reality, it can't always be that way. So, um, I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, so it doesn't mean that you can't start implementing some um, rhythm to your day. Yeah, that's so, what I, I like the way you put that rhythm versus yeah, structure. Rhythm versus structure. Or so schedule. involving the baby in the act, your normal activities, like when you wake up, you expose them to daytime light. That's huge. So around 12 weeks, they start making melatonin. They're going to start kind of establishing a circadian rhythm. But even before that, you can kind of show them. This is what we do when the light is out. Like, this is what we do when it's dark. And so even, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really worry about, like, having the baby sleep in a dark room or anything like that. But, you know, right around, like, 10, 12 weeks, I would try. So if I'm going, I know in my head, bedtime is going to be, we're going to nurse in a dark room. We may read a book quietly. We may sing a song. And that's what bedtime is going to be like, if that's what I kind of know the the routine is going to be, I'll start mimicking that for nap time too. So it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but 
you know, you take them into the room, you nurse them quietly in a, like a darker, um, like we always do it in a rocking chair. So we have it in a rocking chair. She's nursing. We'll read a book, sing a song. Um, and that's nap time too. So that's when I'm trying to kind of go from the, like, she has to sleep on me all the time phase to try and see if she's ready or even able to sleep on her own. So I'll try it around like that 10 week period. And we'll kind of see what happens some days for Camille, Camille, for example, getting ahead of myself, Mm -hmm. she would have a great nap on her own one time. And then the next time she's like, I'm not having it. I want you to wear me. (laughs) And I, this is gold. I just want to say there's like three other questions that this is answering right now. So we don't have to address them. So if you had a question about setting up a routine or like if, if your baby should be able to day nap, not on your body, then make sure you either rewind a few minutes and take this off from the start or tune in hard now. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I, that's what I mean. Like there is just take away the pressure from yourself, mm-hmm. your baby, even if they, they only nap one time alone, um, around like 10 to 12 weeks or at any point, um, they're still learning. Like even if the next three naps, they have to have assistance, they've still learned something. Um, you know, it's like, even when babies are learning how to crawl or walk, they're going to fall down 1500 times. But the one time they do stand up, they figured out in their brain, oh, that works. And they're going to utilize that information. It's still, you know, you're teaching them even if it's not perfect, if that makes sense. Okay. Totally. That, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of, like for me, that was like kind of like a light bulb because Evie, most of the time during the day, we started an evening routine. So mm-hmm. we try and start dinner at five, eat about six, get, she gets a bath. And, and that seems to work. And then, then we hunker down and watch like Game of Thrones or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she fall, she nurses and falls asleep on me. Mm-hmm. Then I put her down, wash my face, whatever, put her to bed. And um, that's been working. She's I haven't had to nurse her in bed for, you know, for a while now. She, I just mm-hmm. put her down and she's asleep. So I love the idea of following a similar like darker nursing and like as she's more aware of lights and TV and stuff going into the room and just turning, you know, lights off and, and trying to do things like that. Um, <laughs> I Luna. That was Ollie. He has something to oh, say. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. So what if we go through, I love how you have, um, like the things like the, the environment. Piece. Yeah. Um, like why don't we go through those? I think that'll be super helpful. Environment and routine. I think will be super helpful. Yeah. So we talked about emotions. So priority number one, before you do anything, always the number one priority is emotionally connecting to your baby. Mm-hmm. If that's not present or if that's not nurtured, um, most of the time it's going to be hard to see any improvement with any other measures that you're taking. You can change the sleep environment all you want. You can, you know, do a routine or whatever, but it may not be as effective. Priority number one, establishing the bond. Okay. Um, and keeping in mind that your emotional energy, anxiety is going to be intuitively picked up by your baby. So I know it's hard. That's where self-improvement, self-awareness, therapy if needed, working through postpartum depression issues is going to be huge, okay? Um, So then we talk about environment being the next thing. So if I was going to be working with a client, sleep, sleep, quote-unquote, training, I hate that term, Um, but, you know, working through sleep issues, emotion, making sure the emotional unit is intact is priority number one. Next thing is environment. Um, we talk about darkness. So a lot of times people think, um, and I did the same thing too. And I did it with Camille in the the beginning. Like I felt better having a light on, but babies aren't born really with a natural 
fear of the dark. If you think about it, like the womb is fairly dark. Yeah, they, they see light during the day just as it should be like a natural cycle. But, you know, a lot of times they're sleeping and it's dark and it's, it's normal. Um, so it's, I don't want you to think baby is afraid of the dark technically. Um, so that's one thing. But again, I go back and you think about adult sleep. Darkness is key for establishing, establishing normal hormonal responses to promote sleep. So there's a study out there, you know, some, they, they pointed a, just one laser beam on someone's leg while they were sleeping in a, a completely dark room, and they can monitor the hormonal response through the bloodstream. Your body senses that. It's not just your eyes that are sensing um, changes in light. It's like your body can sense that. Um, and so darkness is, and it doesn't have to be pitch black. I mean, just a darkened room. It's also a signal. It's kind of like conditioning. Like when we go in the day, it's bright. And when we're active, it's bright. When it's time to like calm down and sleep, we dim the lights. It's a darker state. Okay. So darkness is huge. It's going to help establish normal circadian rhythms. Um, it supports the release of natural hormones and all of that good stuff. Um, like I said, it's a natural sleep cue for your baby. Blackout curtains are a huge thing. Again, I used to obsess like every strip of light like had to be like totally blacked out. I was like foiling, foiling the window and everything. I don't think it's that intense because um, now at least we, the aliens wouldn't be able to get you right. Guys. Exactly. Um, I don't think it's like that big of a deal, but a darkened room is is, um, I think a, a good step for supporting a natural, healthy sleep pattern. Um, and then, uh, shoot, what was I going to say? I have mom brain totally right now. I'm sure it'll come <laughs> back to me. Um, but blackout curtains are huge. Um, oh, when baby gets older. So, you know, in the first, like, even like six months, it's, they probably can sleep in light out in the open with kids yelling TV on all that stuff. Like, Babies can do that, but as they get more aware of their surroundings, they're more engaged with their environment, even like a light room during the daytime, it might be harder for them just to settle. Do you know what I mean? Because they can see everything. They're like, oh, cool. Like, that's interesting to me. Um, they're learning their environment for the first time. So being able to see and engage with everything can be hard. Um, does that make sense? Totally. Okay. Um, moving on. Oh, and a night waking, you already touched on this, mm -hmm. trying to minimize like overhead bright lights or phone shining in their face. Um, you know, using things like, you know, maybe a salt lamp or an amber light cause they have all those sorts of things, um, can be helpful instead of just like flipping on the overhead light and, you know, introducing all that blue light to everybody. Cause yeah. not just for baby's sake, but for your sake as well, to be able to go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and then temperature is another thing. So I guess a lot of studies have shown that 68 to 72 degrees is optimal sleeping temperature for most people. Again, some people prefer to like run on the hot side. Some people want to be, like, be polar bears. So this is just a general recommendation. I would start with this range and then you can just kind of play with it. Like your baby might run on the hot side, um, you know, and like to be warm. My baby refuses clothing. Right. And you know that about your baby. This is not like dogmatic. <laughs> thing going into fall and winter. <laughs> yeah. Trying to sort this out. But, I, you know, she doesn't. We tried one of those, like, um, it's almost like a dress. Mm -hmm. 
We tried swaddling no dice. Mm-hmm. The, the sack she doesn't like because she wants to be able to have full range of motion of her leg. Mm-hmm. She's a kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to try because now she sleeps in a diaper and now it's getting cooler. So yeah, got to try some like onesie situation and see how that yeah. works for her. Totally. This is not dogmatic stuff. This is right. just general science and everyone's different. Okay. <laughs> so consider how you feel. That's another thing. Like if it's 68 degrees and you are freezing, you have to pile on sweaters, baby's probably not going to sleep well in just a onesie. So usually the general recommendation is whatever you're sleeping in, whether that's like a t-shirt and shorts, and then you have a blanket over baby needs an additional layer. So, and again, you know, general recommendations from the American pediatric associations, baby shouldn't be sleeping with a blanket in their crib all that stuff. So if they're not sleeping with the blanket, you want to have, you know, a snuggly onesie on if you're going to keep it on the colder end, um, you know, but play with it because baby will, if they're not sleeping well and you're like, I've done everything else, maybe it's the temperature, try adding something different. Okay. It's trial and error. You have a long time to figure all this out. Um, so temperature is one thing. Noise is another thing. So um, initially, you're probably going to see that your baby sleeps through everything. Okay, you can usually go about doing TV blaring, little you know siblings talking. You know they're probably sleeping with no problem. I mean, we do the podcast like every week, and Evie's like knocked out (laughs) right next to Laura, Um, and so that's totally normal. As they get older and more alert, they're probably going to have. They're probably going to. get a little bit more disrupted by noise and all that stuff. So that's when you may have to, to notice that you're going to have to change that environment. So, um, white noise can be a really like a godsend when you have, um, like a noisy environment, you live in an apartment or a busy city, or you have, you know, other kids in the house. Um, it's also scientifically shown to help your brain ease into a more relaxed state. So it's just science. Like some people are like, I don't want to have to rely on white noise, but just think about yourself as an adult. I, me personally, if it's dead quiet or like really noisy, I have a hard time falling asleep. Um, when I have like ambient noise, it just makes it easier to transition and stay asleep. So that's one thing I use the Dom, um, white noise machine. We'll link to it in the profile. I'm running through these kind of quickly cause I want to get all this good information in, but I have an article on this, um, on the site, really, really spending a lot of time with everything. Um, and then we talked about routine, that's the other issue. So when you've addressed emotional, the emotional side of things, when you've addressed the environmental side of things, um, you're really setting up a optimal sleep environment. You know, the other, the other part is around 12 ish weeks. There's no hard and fast rules. You probably want to start getting a little bit more structured with your routine or your rhythm. So involve your baby in the daily, your daily activities, um, kind of show them what patterns are and what to expect throughout the day, focusing on your connection. Um, I would not, most people do not. And the IMPI does not recommend working formally sleep training with babies until, um, six months or older. And that means like implementing some sort of like formal approach, um, so right now I just, I would, between the, the three to six months phase, I would just focus on trying to foster that routine and see what happens. The um, rhythm. I love rhythm, it. The rhythm. So, um, loose structure doesn't have to be rigid because you're going to drive yourself crazy. If you're like trying to adhere to like every morning at seven, they wake up and have breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it might not work out that way. Um, and if you are going back to work and you're concerned about having 
some sort of rigid structure before a caretaker comes, that almost is going to make going back to work tougher, I think, because you might feel like there's some failure happening when there's no, there's no, you know, no real opportunity for success in that when they're that little. So just being in tune with your caregiver and letting them know like, Hey, here's a general rhythm. And so they know the rhythm and they can try and continue what you've left off with, but you shouldn't, um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't use that word, (laughs) but it's probably not ideal to bring in a caregiver who has any expectation that you're going to have some rigid structure in place mm-hmm. before he or she comes. Um, they should pick up where you left off with uh, with that rhythm. Absolutely. And we already really talked about this, so I'm not going to hit too much on it. But, like, for example, our general rhythm, bedtime rhythm, was um, we took a bath. And I'm not saying, like, we washed her every night. We let her play in the water, okay? We just let her have mm-hmm. that experience. It was just a signal to her that things are winding down. We're going to get ready for sleep. Yeah. Um, we did bath PJs. We read quote unquote, read a book and now Mm -hmm. she's a lot more interactive with books. So it's much more fun, but, and then we did a bottle or or nursed. And then for us, we have, um, a special, like I just say, when I put her in her bed, I have like nine night, I love you. And that's kind of like, my our thing okay that's like kind of her I would encourage you to whatever it is if it's a song or if it's something you say like I love you to the moon and back or whatever um something to establish the connection but also a signal to her that like it's night night time um so that's yeah (laughs) I mean we all are you know wired to work that way so um so that's our kind of general routine and we do a modified version of that obviously we're not taking a bath before every nap but we do a modified version of that for nap time yeah And when it comes to routines, we got a question about like taking your baby camping, which we just did. And we just kind of held on to our rhythm when we, so if you're traveling or you're camping or wherever you take baby, if you've got some pretty set rhythms or like signals, you know, cues, if those, it's great to have those tools in your toolbox, because then when you are not at home, you can try and as best possible, follow the same rhythms, like still do some sort of cleansing or bath or warm water still do, um, the same, you know, bring a book with you, read the book and use the same cues and uh, verbal cues and that kind of thing. And it might make that transition from being at home to being in a tent or being at a campsite or being on the road or being wherever a little bit more of an easy transition. Um, if you can keep those structures similar, if you have like a small light that like we have this small Amber light and that's all we use, I can take that with us. It's battery operated. So trying to keep similar rhythms, if you can, similar dark and light. I know that's kind of hard yes. with your camping. But, you know, even if it's just one or two things, out of if you have six things you do every night and you can hold on to two or three or four of those, um, then it might make being in the tent or being on the road or traveling a little bit easier. And that's where that rhythm is so important. Absolutely. And I know, I know we're running a little long on this, but a lot of people will either be of one of two thoughts. Like, we're going to be super structured and we're never, like like this is our structure, like our day is always going to look the same. Or you have another train of thought, like our baby's going to do whatever we do. They're going to go with us. There's going to be no structure, no, you know, set bedtime, no nothing. While I think both of the, like being too far one way or the other, probably not a good thing. Um, kind of finding a happy medium in between those is ideal because babies do need to know what to expect. They actually do thrive for the most part. They thrive on a rhythm, you know, like just like most humans. Um, so they need some of that structure, but it's not like, like you were saying, Laura, like 
you're, there's going to be times where you're traveling or, you know, y'all aren't in the normal environment, but having some sort of something to hold on to that they know exactly what you're saying. Like, this is, this is my thing. Like it's the song or it's, you know, you're holding them a certain way or whatever, I think is super beneficial in those instances where things are a little bit more crazy or outside of your control. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I love it. Cool. Um, I think we could jump into those final tips. Yeah. So final tips, and I hope we've answered most of the questions, but, um, we can always, I think we should do another sleep one later on. Yeah, I really do too. And we I, can, I know I'm going to have questions as this one gets older. Right. And if we <laughs> didn't, an, yeah, if we didn't specifically answer your question, I'll try and actually respond directly to you. Um, you know, in a few days just to let you know, Hey, we didn't, we didn't get to this, but I wanted to give you a few tips, some general tips. Yeah. Cause I think a big topic we didn't talk about is regressions. Right. I think we could do an entire episode on sleep regressions oh, because, totally. um, I know that's something that really stresses people out. Yeah, totally. Um, so a couple of just general tips and like knowledge. First of all, if you are thinking about getting a sleep consultant, I wouldn't recommend really worrying about sleep too much until things are kind of getting dicey six months or older, because at that time things are changing so rapidly in the first six months that it's just to try and control those things. It's going to drive you crazy. Um, so I would, if you are looking for a sleep control consultant, I would recommend using a gentle or holistic consultant either through some place like IMPI, um, or the conscious baby Liz Wolf will link to that in the show notes. One that will focus on an individualized plan for your family's unique needs. Okay. I, I would not recommend just doing a blanket, um, approach. Um, and don't be ashamed if you need help. Um, lack of sleep can really be devastating and overwhelming. Um, it's, it's not a bad thing to need someone to help walk you through it, especially if you're dealing with your own issues. Okay. So number one, just don't be, don't be ashamed to ask for help. Um, other tips to know, we already kind of talked about not trying to keep your baby up during the day to promote sleep, um, generally doesn't work. So I would not focus on that as your main means of establishing healthy sleep. Um, another thing nutritionally, so they found some link between DHA consumption in late pregnancy and during breastfeeding, um, that has been shown to help promote sleep in infants. So, um, if you're not already on some sort of like fish quality fish oil supplement, or you're not getting a lot of that through your, um, your daily food, that might be something to try. So I switched over. I've been using every single morning, the, um, extra virgin cod liver oil. Well, there you go. And Evie and sleeps like a champ. Sleeps like a champ. <laughs> Maybe it has to do with I the DHA. So much salmon. Yeah. My second trimester when there's like a lot of development going on, I don't know if that played into it, but, um, it can't hurt, right? It right. Can't it can't hurt. You never know. <laughs> um, and then if you are pumping and, um, feeding through a bottle, they have, so your breast milk, the substances and hormones in your breast milk does change in, based on the time of day. So for instance, if you really want to promote all those sleepy hormones, um, right before bed, then you'd want to kind of be aware of the timing of your pumped milk. So like feeding your baby milk that's been pumped at night or in the evening, um, when they're about to go to sleep for the evening. So it kind of coincides with like the natural hormonal shifts. Um, if you would be be nursing. Um, and then another thing that I had to learn the hard way the second time around, um, is, you know, give your baby a little credit and a little space to try and figure things out on their own. I'm not saying like, let them cry hard 
until they like fall asleep. But I'm saying one thing I did with bear is every little sound he made, I would like flip on the light at night and be like, Oh my gosh, is he okay? Like he's going to start crying. Like I need to stop him from crying. I never gave him the opportunity to try and figure it out on his, on his own. Um, and so I would just encourage you if you're comfortable with it, don't rush in at every sound. Don't, um, if your baby is sleeping and kind of, you know, grunting or, you know, fussing, there's a difference between fussing and being upset and you can tell, right? So fussing a little bit, you know, try and especially later, you know, around that 10 to 12 week mark, try and see if they can figure it out. Um, they may just be waking up from a, a sleep cycle and trying to figure out how to go back into the next one. So that can be a tip as well, just to start with. Um, also changing the diaper at night is another thing that I I changed bear every time we nursed at night and really anytime he was upset, I was like, it's gotta be his diaper. Um, if your baby is waking up to nurse and going right back to sleep, I would not change the diaper unless your baby lets you know that she's uncomfortable, um, or he or she's uncomfortable. That was another thing. Like I, you know, there's a, he was nursing, bear was nursing, but he was, you know, still in that sleepy state. And I would go on and just take off the diaper, you know, fully wake him up really from that sleepy state. And so now he's really awake. Um, and so the nursing back to sleep was much harder. So if you can, um, you know, load him up on some good quality, like protective layer in the diaper at night. Um, we love the beauty counter booty beauty bomb. That is, she has not gotten a single rash and same. I don't change her diaper. She sometimes she sleeps like 10 hours same. and I don't change her diaper. And as long as there's no poop, she's so fine. Right. Same. We did the same thing. And so maybe doing that frequently at night can kind of interrupt and not allow them to learn that, mm-hmm. that the natural like sleeping through the night because you're, you're just creating habits of night waking, if that makes sense. Um, and then a lot of people ask about swaddling. Our babies hated swaddling. We tried Mine it. Too. Um, I know that, you know, fourth trimester, they talk about needing to be swaddled. Um, some babies do need that and they respond really well to it. Um, it can be awesome. And you can transition from a swaddle to a sleep sack to like the miracle sleep suit um, for older babies that really need that. But I would say just play around with it. I don't think it's a hard and fast rule, though a lot of people believe that it is. It just really depends. She came out with her fist by her face, and she has wanted her hands up <laughs> hands by her up. head. Yeah, and some babies like one arm out, both arms out, and just, like, tight around their core. So you can experiment with the different, um, you know, methods. And then last but not least, premature babies. Um, we had a kind of a question about this, too. When you're thinking about what's developmentally appropriate as far as sleep or really anything, even sleep, you want to adjust, you want to go by their adjusted age. So if you, for, as far as sleep expectations, so like if they're 12 weeks outside of the womb, but they're really only supposed to be four weeks at this point, cause maybe they came really early, they're probably going to have the sleep maturity of a four week old, not a 12 week old or whatever. Um, so really take that into consideration. Okay. It's just like with everything with premature babies, you're always going to go by adjusted age, um, rather than their actual out of the womb days. And that's, I think that's so important because even a baby born at 37 weeks, Mm -hmm. right. They're like, um, according it's that's term, the early term. Uh, I think technically, well, thir- I know you can, I don't know, 38 weeks you can deliver with a midwife out of a hospital, at least in Texas. In California, it's 37. Okay. So a lot of people think, well, that was that was like a normal time to come. Mm-hmm. But think about three weeks. We have a good friend who has a baby who's three weeks older than Evie. And like being out with them, 
the difference is astounding, mm-hmm. right? So at this age, like a th- coming three weeks early, that makes a big difference. So I think it's super it important to keep that in mind. It does. And that's why people still, people laugh when they say like, my baby is 24 months old and people are like, well, he's two years old. There's a really big difference between a 24 month old and like a 22 month old developmentally. So that's, I know it's funny to like laugh at that, but it's even more prominent the younger they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So just keep that in mind. And that's pretty much my two cents. I can't believe we crammed most of that into, it was long. You have so much information to share. It's really incredible. And I, I, this is just a start. And I think this is maybe perhaps in call for questions. I think this might be the most questions that we've gotten. So yeah. we will definitely do a follow-up because um, I'm going to learn more as I go. I'm going to research more. Uh, Jess has more to share. We have more questions to answer. So mm-hmm. we should do another one in a month or so um, and get more information to you guys because this is clearly a topic that is um, that people like, and people are curious about because sleep is what keeps us sane. Right. And if you've gone months at this point, if you got like an 18 month old and you're still not sleeping well, that could be an issue. So, um, sleep equals sanity and sanity equals a great parent. I mean, you're a great parent, even if you're not sleeping, but <laughs> it helps. So yeah. Uh, we'll and wrap there though. Yeah. What, what I just wanted to close and close again. These are general recommendation. This is based on my very specific education in this, this regard, there's probably going to be a lot of people out there with conflicting information. And mm-hmm. part of the whole purpose of our podcast is to prevent research science based information and allow you to kind of wage your way, empower you to kind of wage your way through that information and go with what feels intuitive um, to you. So that's my greatest hope is that you you have the ability to process this information and know that it's coming from a good place. And, you know, again, there's no judgment if you've been through other sleep training methods. Um, you know, if you had a different experience, there's no judgment. Okay. It's just, this is a different experience. This is a different path you could possibly consider. Um, and again, emotional, emotional stability, structure, and bonding is the key to all of this. Just if you focus on anything, just focus on bonding with your baby. Yeah. And what your baby needs in terms of, um, he's just staring at me. (laughs) So for some perspective, she slept for 45 minutes of that and just woke up and that was her nap. If you can hear her, you want to talk? She's making some noises now. So there's, and that was like a solid nap, you know, so they don't, they're not going to nap necessarily for two, however many hours Mm -hmm. at this age. Um, but I think most important as we were finishing up, wrapping up, saying I got distracted by my kid is that, uh, just being in tune with what your baby needs, I think is most important and not necessarily trying to force something that's not going to work for you or a little one. Yeah. Totally. But in closing, we have kind of a fun new thing, a new space where you guys can ask these kinds of questions and talk to each other. Um, we've created a Facebook group called the modern mama's tribe. Um, and so we'll link to that in these show notes. We're going to start to post about it a little bit more, but I think that's a great place for these dialogues and discussions to continue and you guys can help to support each other. So, um, look for that. We'd love for you to join. We'd love to build this tribe, share with the people that you love. Um, and you can find me, Laura at laura.myradicalroots on Instagram and myradicalroots.com is my website and Jess is at, I'll just say it unless you want to say it. it. I know. And I love it. She's (laughs) just.holdthespace on Instagram and holdthespacewellness.com. And you can email both of us at modernmamaspodcast 
at gmail.com. And that's kind of a fun, you never know who you're going to get. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, ooh, I got to yeah. this one. I'm going to respond. And yeah, then sometimes she responds and it's all good because it's usually exactly what I was going to say or whatever. Definitely on this weird wavelength <laughs> where we kind of just get each other and it's yeah. pretty incredible. Um, and so, yeah, anything, any last words you'd like to add to this one? Nope. That's all good. Just, I, I have this fear that people are going to feel judged by this, this episode, but I just want you to know it's all a place of love. It's general recommendations. You're not doing anything wrong. These are just, yeah, you haven't done anything wrong in the past. Like this is all just, if you're searching for more answers and more help, this is a good place to go. It doesn't mean what you've been doing has harmed your child. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. This maybe if, if what you're doing isn't working, here's a good place to look to find something yeah. new to try. Absolutely. So, and if what you're doing is working and it's not what we just said, then don't change yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like keep doing what you're doing. I mean, there's, there's, there's many different ways to do motherhood, life, parenting. Exactly. So, all right. Well, we love you guys and we will talk to you next week. Um, and we're super excited that you're listening. So thank you. Reach out anytime. Yes. Bye guys. Bye.